0: So what do you think of Shigeru Miyamoto walking on stage at an Apple event? I mean, that that's kind of crazy, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are few bigger icons than Miyamoto in the gaming world who have crossed over into the mainstream. He's a mainstream icon. There are very, very mm-hmm. few people who've been able to achieve that. So when you bring someone like that onto the Apple stage, it does two things. First of all, it lends enormous gaming credibility to Apple, but also it It kind of sends a signal to the gaming world that, hey, this is as big as it gets. There is no bigger tech media event in the world. And this guy is on top of the world at this point. Mm. I I can't think of many other people you could have brought on stage and got that kind of effect because it was two huge media giants meeting in that same space. It's very powerful.
0: Yeah, so if for any reason um anyone is not up to speed on Apple and Nintendo News, there was an Apple event uh I guess it was last week. Uh my schedule is all messed up because of iOS 10 and all of the releases. <laughs> um so there was an Apple event and straight off the bat, um Tim Cook uh started talking about the App Store and how there's uh a lot of games on the App Store, it's the most successful category of the on the App Store. And he was talking about games and then there was a He said, uh, finally, we can say he's coming to the app store and a Mario character uh, appears on the slide on screen and the people just start cheering and clapping and going crazy. And there's a demo of this Super Mario game on an iPhone and not happy with the reaction from the crowd, Tim Cook brings out Shigeru Miyamoto on stage and I rewatched the this uh, segment of the the Apple keynote today and you can see the people just going crazy I'm pretty sure it was like the most um excited reaction that we've seen at an Apple event in a while uh, so we thought, you know, uh, we should talk about the idea of Super Mario coming to iOS with Super Mario Run. And by the way, Mike is not here today, uh, because I'm pretty sure he's in America lining up for an iPhone. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> he's waiting in line somewhere. Uh,
1: uh, maybe he heard get that one for those- me, man.
0: Yeah, maybe he heard that supply is limited, so he just went to America to buy an iPhone. Anyway, he'll be back. But just let, let the guy buy an iPhone. Uh, so Super Mario Run—it's uh, this new Super Mario game coming to iOS. It's an original Nintendo game, and it's kind of like a like a side-scrolling runner. You know, the type of game that you see on iOS all the time, like Rayman, and you know all this kind of other uh, runner, endless runner games. And but the I, I think there's something deeper to. ...to the game that just the mechanics... ...I think the game will be awesome... Uh, ...I mean of course it's a Nintendo game... ...the graphics look wonderful on the iPhone... ...but I think there's a... ...there's an underlying theme of Apple and Nintendo... ...teaming up for this kind of deal... ...because I feel like it's a special collaboration... ...going on here... ...I mean otherwise he would not do a special announcement... ...at an Apple keynote... ...which Apple is live streaming globally... ...on Apple.com... ...and to bring out Shigeru Miyamoto... ...and Biltrin and Nintendo
1: on stage... I think it's a big deal. Yeah, totally. I mean, who who else would you get that would have that kind of impact? I'm struggling to think. You know, I'm trying to think of people from the film world who would get that kind of impact. Because the thing is, they've already got movies, right? But what they don't have is Nintendo on their platform. Well, not not in the sense of Nintendo first party games. Um I, I wonder if the whole Pokemon Go thing, even though Nintendo were a background player mm. in that, was kind of like mm-hmm. a test bed for this kind of activity, and Nintendo right. were were kind of keeping a close eye on it. You know, could this be a potential place for us to go?
0: And Kind of like a test, so they were yeah. testing Nintendo. I mean, I, I want to ask you, I mean, you know what I'm going to ask you. So Mario coming to the iPhone, a new Shahid famously... You said that Nintendo should retire Mario and use it kind of like Disney does with Mickey Mouse. Uh, what does this move say about the role of Mario, not just in Nintendo, in the Nintendo ecosystem, but in general, like the Mario brand? Does it mean that Nintendo is trying to revitalize Mario, maybe, by approaching a different audience?
1: Well, the Mario brand compared to the Mickey brand is, is still young. I mean, 35 years. Okay. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lifetime in video games, but if you compare it to Mickey, he's not that old yet. He is definitely the venerable daddy of the video games world. No doubt about that. As far as retiring him is concerned, the the flip side to my assertion that Nintendo should uh, retire Mario was that he should become a mascot. He should never go away because Mar- Mario is emblematic of Nintendo in a way that they'll they'll never get away from. I just think that in the same way that Disney were able to move forward with other IP. That's how any tech-based or media-based industry should be, always creating the new, never lost or mired in the old. There should always be a a nod and uh, a wink back to that era, but it shouldn't be the forefront, otherwise innovation just goes. As far as getting Mario on the iPhone is concerned, I think it's a really smart move. The iPhone is pretty much a mainstream device and mario is a mainstream games character in that sense it seems if they can get the mechanics right and i'm sure they will it's nintendo come on it's it's going to be really successful on there but it won't be anything for nintendo but another careful uh test of the water in the mobile space Mm -hmm. because for them Strategically, it's still really significant to have their own hardware. Otherwise, they wouldn't be working on the NX. So I'm wondering if, come the NX, there isn't going to be uh, another Mario announcement. I would be very surprised if there wasn't some kind of Mario game lined up for launch. You know, I I don't think, you know, being really serious about this, I don't think Nintendo are going to (laughs) pay any attention to me saying they should retire Mario. I say that Mm. as a provocation (laughs) because I think they have got a lot in them still to produce. And Mario doesn't necessarily have to lead every single one of their innovations.
0: Right. I mean, they said that Fire Emblem, Animal Crossing, which is another big franchise, is coming to the iPhone and other mobile devices next year. But I think the idea of... Um, using smartphones and for let's say more lightweight experiences to kind of funnel people into the real game, quote unquote real game, uh, because even these games on the iPhone are real, but just to more full fledged experiences on on dedicated Nintendo consoles, it's interesting. But how does it work in practice? Like, is it just about brand awareness? It's just about you know getting the word out. Uh, as we see with Pokemon Go, for example, Nintendo said since we've been doing pokemon go we're seeing more downloads for the pokemon games on virtual console for example and they're doing a i would say an aggressive campaign with pokemon sun and moon coming out but is it just about getting new people to know the brand so it's just basically publicity you know to do these games or is it just or is it maybe a genuine way to explore new frontiers in the sense that if things go badly with the next console, hey, we can always do smartphone games. Because I'm trying to understand, is Nintendo doing this for marketing or are they generally, you know, doing a smartphone games because they see themselves becoming a smartphone game company? And that said, maybe the Doomsday scenario, but hey, you never know because, I mean, the Wii U had a lot of promise and it didn't go well. Uh, what if the, the NX doesn't go well? Does Nintendo become
1: an iOS game company? I think that's a distinct possibility. For a while now, I think for many years, in fact. In fact, we were talking about this before the Wii came out. Is Nintendo going to get out of hardware and and do a Sega? Right, You know, because, Mm. of course, Sega faced this issue as well. Sega actually created a very good console in the Dreamcast, but it just wasn't enough. And the PS2 basically steamrolled Dreamcast, and that was that. In the same way that the PS1 uh, steamrolled the Saturn. You know, I I was very surprised because the Dreamcast had great games. It was a really good console. It was very powerful. But in the end, what happened was that Sega became a software company, still a software company with a great heritage, but not necessarily with the firepower to innovate in the way that they used to before. I would say that most of the innovation from Sega happened before uh, they left the the hardware business. And for Nintendo, I think it would be strategically a mistake to leave the hardware business now i don't know if their strength is a home console anymore given that the amount of i guess resources you need to create a home-based console is becoming so extreme especially to compete you know at a decent price point because yeah you can build a great box and you can use these off-the-shelf components as uh, sony have done with playstation and microsoft have done with xbox one but can you do it at a decent price and can you hit it at the right time? And can you get your operational efficiencies absolutely perfect so you can you can hit all of the channels at a good price with the right product at the right time? That's becoming harder and harder to do. But one place where that doesn't matter, and we've talked about this before, is a handheld space. And handheld is, is a space that Nintendo understand really well. And I guess I'm wondering, does Nintendo having... Although they've had a huge amount of success with handheld of late... Given their experience in handheld, are they now looking at iPhone and saying, well, really, this offers enough of an experience. And if we don't start to get involved in a big way now, if we don't get established in this space now, then maybe in the future, if we don't have a hardware success, we'll always be seen as a fringe player or or not as, uh, say, as as high powered as some of the other titles uh, from the likes of Activision and so on. They would hate that. Can you imagine Nintendo in a position where they're a software company, but they don't get as much placement as EA or Activision and so on? That would hurt them really, really badly, right? Especially with the IP they've got and the creativity they've got. So I think, and I think you were alluding to this, that the opportunity with Apple was not financial in so much as it was about placement. Because what bigger event is there in the tech calendar than the launch of a new iPhone? I don't think there's anything bigger. I don't think Akamai ever gets hit as hard (laughs) as when Apple starts streaming, right? So, um, or whoever they use. Um, So I do think that Nintendo were absolutely uh, vitally keen to get this top tier placement at an Apple press event in order to drum home the fact that they were a serious player in the video games world and that they were now going to be a serious player in the smartphone software world as well and in doing so they cemented some ground for themselves before uh, any major change could happen i think it's very smart that they're doing this before the launch of well before the launch of of NX because as you say, it is a kind of a hedge, and I I hope it's successful for them. And you know what would be really great is if they're really successful with Mario on iOS, and they're really successful with other games as well. I mean, Animal Crossing was an amazing game. So I hope they do a fantastic job on iOS. And I think if they can do that, if they can say we are the premier software house for video games for the handheld, but we do that on iOS and and perhaps in the future Android as well, who knows. But I think for now that relationship with Apple is going to be very, very close. Then I think that's going to work out really well for them, whether or not they succeed in hardware. But first they have to cement their top tier place as a game software partner for Apple. And I think this was very much what that was about.
0: Yeah, and the way they're doing this is interesting. Um, The game is going to be free to download, but there's going to be a single in-app purchase to unlock every level, I guess, every mode of the game. And Nintendo, on stage, stressed the fact that it won't be the kind of free game with in-app purchases that's constantly asking you to pay up to unlock, you know, gems and, you know, sacks of coins and that that kind of stuff. Uh, So even... Even the model is interesting because they're going for uh, mass adoption because it's a free game, but also with the sort of freemium approach that it's just a single, kind of like a trial version, and then you gotta pay up once to play, uh, which I think Apple likes. And I think I can see some parallels here between the idea of pushing this game to have a single in-app purchase and how, if you look on the new iMessage App Store, there's a prominence of paid sticker packs right now. And it almost feels to me like Apple is pushing these big companies. And I mean, if you look at Disney, if you look at all these other stickers on on the iMessage app store, It almost feels like Apple is saying, hey, please make it a paid sticker pack because we want to move away from the idea of iPhone games and iPhone apps in general, which are free to download, but are constantly annoying users to pay up multiple times. And I think Apple likes the money that they make from games like Clash of Clans and whatever, but I also think at the same time they don't like the perception of... People saying, I download a game and then it's asking me every single time, I gotta pay up, I gotta pay up. And there's, you know, there's timers, I gotta wait for the game. It's not a great experience. They like the money, but it's not a great experience. So I think pushing Nintendo and maybe pushing others to a more uh, paid model or at least a a not so annoying uh, purchasing model is interesting. And I wonder, is it gonna be enough for Nintendo to sort of uh, you know, balance the lack of, uh, of basically any major console title uh, for the holiday season. I mean, they already had the NES Mini, which I think it's going to sell in, you know, in good amounts. I mean, I'm going to buy one, and I see you know, a lot of people saying I can wait to get one. Um, so now they have the NES Mini, the Pokemon games on the 3DS, and now Mario on the iPhone. And I think they're going to do just fine this holiday season. Even without the I don't want to say they're going to make more money out of the iPhone game than the but I think they're going to be fine. And it's and it's an interesting tr- strategy to kind of have these you know other options to while they're waiting for the home console.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I think they could make an awful lot of money out of Mario on iOS. I don't think there's any reason why they don't do that. And if you look at the figures. I mean, let's say, for example, in their first year of NX sales, they ship, what, 10 million units? Uh, I'm being conservative. Who knows how many they'll do? But let's say 10 million units in the first year. And they have a uh, they sell a copy of Mario to, let's say, 7 million of those. Because for some reason, there are 3 million people who don't know what Mario is. I can't imagine a world um, in which that would happen. But let's just say 7 million. And they're making... Say ten bucks, just you know. uh, This is completely off the top of my head. Ten bucks of profit on each one of those discs. That's so. That's seven million sales. That's seventy million dollars. It's not an awful lot. And if you think of a billion iPhones, how many of those are actually addressable? Let's say one in five. And that again is being conservative because there are some. Because as you know, when Apple launched. The sixth line sales were absolutely outrageously good at that point and have continued to stay really, really solid. So let's just say they've got a total addressable market of, say, 200 million devices, out of which they get maybe one in 10 of those. That's 20 million. And they do one dollar. So that's we're talking about one third of the revenue. On an iOS game. Compared to doing the same on their flagship hardware, and this is being really conservative. It could just be yeah. that they actually make more money on the iOS Mario and then they they do other versions and here's the other thing you've got to bear in mind: these games are going to cost them a lot less money to develop, a lot less, and also given that Apple are doing the heavy lifting on the marketing, yeah, that's yeah. going to be a lot less stress on Nintendo to to get behind. Um, their, their flagship character, in what is becoming more and more of a niche market. So here they are in the mainstream. Apple do the heavy lifting of the marketing. Nintendo spend a lot less on development. Their return on investment, surely, if they do a good job, is going to be comparable to NX, maybe even better?
0: Mm. But what do you think it means when, let's say this happens, and I think it will happen, they make a lot of money on the episode with Mario, Somebody goes back to the executive meeting and says, look, we made a lot of money. What does it mean for the people in charge when they see the advantages of doing cheaper games on the iPhone with free marketing from Apple and investing on you know, a dedicated console with a smaller addressable market and with games that cost a lot of money to produce and with marketing that's sold on Nintendo's shoulders? What does it mean... I mean, at that point, you gotta you gotta count on the internal culture, I guess, to say no, we gotta stick with the with the home console. But at some point, uh, I mean, I saw someone on Twitter said the seal has been broken, and I kind of follow the argument because as soon as you start making real Nintendo games for other platforms, and if those platforms perform better than your own, then how how do you explain that to the people in charge? And you know, how do you how do you stick to the to the previous plan of no? Let's just keep the you know the real games on our console that doesn't make a lot of money, but it's the right thing to do. So how do you balance the right thing to do with the with the money coming in? And that's the question that I'm sort of curious, but also kind of scared to know. Um, I I don't know. I I guess we'll just we just need to wait, maybe.
1: Yeah, I hear you. It it's very difficult, and it's the sort of yeah. thing that we talked about an awful lot at PlayStation because you're. Remember I talked to you about one of the imperatives that I was given was to help broaden the market. So we looked at many different ways of doing this. And one of the things that we looked at was possibly using mobile as an on-ramp to more serious gaming. This is something that you mentioned earlier in this program. And we considered that, but really they're very different audiences you know, we, we found that there wasn't an awful lot of overlap. People who are interested in console games will buy good console games and they will play them. They don't need an on-ramp. And the people who are playing mobile games, well, the vast majority of them are never going to be that into consoles. Look at the size of the respective markets. It is astronomical, the, the difference now. You know, there's nowhere near a billion consoles out there. If you add maybe if you add all of the consoles that were ever released in all of history up, they would then perhaps come close to totaling Apple's one billion uh, iPhones uh, out there, which which is a pointless exercise because we, we have to think about total addressable market. But let's take a serious character. Let's take something. I say serious character, like like, for example, the. Um, like, like Kratos, How to God of War, for example. Could you put him in an iOS game? Does that lend itself to a casual experience? I don't think it does. Does Is an iOS uh, or an iPhone video game uh, casual player going to be interested in something like Kratos? I don't think so. I don't think they even know who Kratos is. I don't think they care. So it's mm-hmm. going to come down to gameplay. The difference with Mario is he already is a mascot. He already is established in the public consciousness. This is a very safe bet. For Nintendo and a very safe bet for Apple. Apple made a lot of safe bets in that um, in that presser, I thought, which was smart. You know, all right, you don't get your excitement, but you can't have it all the time. Um, but they did make a lot of safe bets, and the and the partnership with uh, with Nintendo was strong in the sense they chose the strongest possible character, the one they knew that everybody would know about. If Nintendo had said to Apple, "Listen, we just want to dip our toe in the water. If want to announce, say, Animal Crossing," at this event for uh for iPhone then you know Apple would have been saying well that's really not going to move the needle for our audience if you can bring us Mario then we're talking because there is something that both audiences relate to and understand and there are very few other IPs other than Mario that could have done that so i don't think this exercise is going to work for many other um many other IPs i don't think it's going to work for many other players but if nintendo managed to establish themselves into the mindshare of the iPhone audience, the casual audience, then I think they have a very, very good stepping stone towards future IP development on iPhone.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's super fascinating. I I really want to see what's going to happen here. The game is coming out in December, I think. It's coming out before the end of the year, and I'm sure we'll have a a dedicated episode about that. So it's, it's super... Again, it's very interesting to kind of the position that Nintendo is in right now. And this collaboration with Apple, I think it has the kind of the potential to uh, to fundamentally change Nintendo. But I guess we'll see. So now, Shahid, I want to ask you about PlayStation and some new announcements. But I think before we move on, there's Mike with a message from America.
2: Hello, dear listener. It's me, Mike. I've just popped in to tell you very quickly about our friends over at Squarespace because they are helping out by sponsoring this week's show. Squarespace is the simplest way for anyone, including you to create a beautiful landing page website or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and use the offer code INSERTCOIN at checkout to get 10% of your first purchase. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands and takes away the pain points like worrying about hosting, scaling, Or what to do if you get stuck with something. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level, no coding required. They have state-of-the-art technology to power your site and ensure security and stability. This is why they're trusted by millions of people around the world. Squarespace have beautiful, responsive design templates that are all stunning to look at. They have 24-7 support with live chat and email, their commerce platform, their cover page functionality, and rock-solid, fast hosting. If you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you can do so with their dev platform, let lets you dig into the code and tinker with your site. Their plans start at just $8 a month, and you get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Try it today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com, and you can start building your own website straight away. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code INSERTCOIN at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Remaster. Thank you so much to Squarespace for their support of this show and Relay FM, and enjoy the rest of the episode.
0: All right, so there's been the same day of the Apple event. I think as soon as it ended, there was a Sony event. And of course, Shahid, I was a little busy finalizing my iOS 10 review. And (laughs) (laughs) As soon as the Apple event ended, I was with three displays on my desk downloading the GM version of iOS 10 on all of my devices. (laughs) I I mean, I I took in in a week over a thousand screenshots for the review. Anyway the playstation event so i had a rough idea of what was going to happen the playstation 4 slim and the playstation 4 the neo project so that um, playstation 4 slim uh, the leaks that we saw on the internet were real it's a slimmer version of the playstation 4 it went on sale earlier this week i didn't think i uh, i think went on sale on thursday and it costs uh, 299 bucks it's the same hardware of a PlayStation 4, it's just slimmer. Is that right?
1: This is the thing that PlayStation always does. There's yeah. always a slim yeah. version. We knew this was going to happen. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not even news.
0: I mean, you know it was going <laughs> to
1: happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, I couldn't possibly comment. What makes it sure. news is, is the launch of the PS4 Pro. That's what makes the PS, uh, PS4 ps slim news. In that right. it's it's now this uh elder brother younger brother kind of combo in the market at the same time
0: so let's talk about this playstation 4 pro it's called the pro version uh it's the, the the device that was the code name neo we saw the reports from Eurogamer and kotaku earlier this year it's got a faster processor it's got better graphic performance and the goal is to support 4k resolution uh which should have put much better looking games that's I'm totally ignorant when it comes to 4K. I don't have a 4K TV, so Shahid, tell me what's the benefit here? What's the? I, I m- my interpretation is that this is a fundamental new strategy for home consoles. We saw the same with the with the Microsoft, the Project Scorpio. So this kind of mid cycle revision that is not just a slimmer version but an actual update. This is new for consoles. It's kind of like a it's kind
1: of becoming like the PC, right? kind of but not quite um and when when i say that my tongue is firmly embedded in my cheek because of course it is kind of that isn't it let's face it the the big difference is that there is a huge push here to ensure that games will be playable on both formats that if they if they are better on uh, the ps4 pro that they will be better in one or two uh, dimensions. So either greater resolution or greater frame rate or greater texture detail and so on. But that this exact same game will be playable, but with a reduced dimension in those attributes I've mentioned on a standard PS4. And I think that's fine. I, I think people who really want that level of performance or clarity or cutting edge or detail, one of the things that's been a real issue in the past is that in the past consoles were actually extremely complex in terms of architecture Mm. so the ps3 was a good example of that it was brutally difficult to program so it took five years before developers got really good at it now the difference this time is that the architecture of both the ps4 and the xbox one is broadly comparable to pc architecture And what that means is that the secrets are not as deep. And the other thing that means is you are likely as a developer to hit upon the performance limits given the known architectures much earlier in the cycle than for previous generations. And that would leave both PlayStation and Xbox in an unusual position in that suddenly progress mid-cycle in software quality would appear to have stalled. And there's no way that consoles would have continued to sell at the same impressive rate that they have been selling, particularly PlayStation. Sorry, I just had to get that in. Particularly PlayStation, because the software quality wasn't going up in leaps and bounds like it used in previous generations. And that's simply because people are hitting upon the limits quite quickly, because they understand the architecture. You know, it's it's not rocket science. I mean, all right, some of the best developers in the world will still be pushing boundaries and will still get better out of the same resources than other developers. But that's by the by. There are a lot of known things now about these these devices. And so introducing some more power suddenly allows you to expand in a vector. It's kind of like a, it is a 1.5 cycle, isn't it? No matter what anybody says, it is kind of a 1.5 cycle. And it does mean that people are going to be playing games on on their PS4 Pro, they're not going to want to play them on the PS4 anymore because they're not going to want to go back to um, to to the slower frame rates or the lower resolution. Because the other thing that PS4 Pro makes possible is some games were not always HD either. They were compromised in that they were rendering to a slightly smaller buffer than HD and then upscaling mm. up to HD. And, of course, they don't have to worry about that or they worry about it a lot less on on PS4 Pro. And the other thing, of course, is 4K. Where does 4K matter? Well, 4K matters um, on very large tellies. HD started to come in, as you know, a a few years back. And (laughs) I don't think anybody thought 4K would catch on as quickly as it did. But I think the problem was 55-inch tellies becoming really, really cheap. And, you know, on a 55-inch telly... An HD screen doesn't look as HD as it used to a few years ago, <laughs> <Right>. you know. <laughs> uh, and you suddenly and you you look at a you look at a, a 4K monitor. I mean, I've got a couple of these in the shower shed, and yeah, they they're just like standard Dell 4K monitors, at 24 inch, and they look beautiful. They are so crisp. You go back to a an HD screen, 24 inch. I've got one of those here as well, and it looks like you're staring at um, uh, an underwater scene through a layer of Vaseline, you know. It's unbelievable how quickly your eyes become accustomed to 4K, even at low sizes. So move up to a large telly uh, in the living room, a 55-inch screen. You go to 4K, then suddenly, yeah, okay, there's a lot of detail, but what about the range? So that's the other thing. You know, HDR now becomes uh, uh, a possibility for a lot of games as well, and that will make a huge difference too in terms so of... So the- o- what is HDR? HDR stands for uh high dynamic range.
0: Okay, so it's kind of like photos on on the iPhone basically.
1: It's it's very very similar. All it does is it allows you to see detail in uh dark areas of the image as well as light areas of the image, whereas before they would have been drowned out. You know, if if you got a particularly bright scene for example, then it would be very, very difficult for you. If you wanted to see the, the brighter details, it would be very hard for you to make out any detail in the dark, in the darker areas. So what it does is it brings those, those areas out and uh, you get a much more impressive amount of uh, visual detail, much richer detail on the screen.
0: Hmm. And this is also possible with the current PS4 that got an HDR update. Is that right?
1: Right. But I suspect, I mean, here's the thing people are being told to exploit it on both both consoles so that's just going to be a given uh, right. there's no, there's no getting around that
0: what i'm what i'm thinking is i have two questions for you one is is sony and um, are actually sony and microsoft doing this because pcs are a problem for them because they're seeing that the dedicated gamer is moving back to pc because with the with the visual and the performance quality going up it's easier to upgrade a pc so are they doing this to retain their most loyal gamers and two what does this mean for console cycles going forward
1: yeah i i mean the pc market is is obviously going to be around uh forever mm-hmm. um you know that 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 is just such a unique space full of constant innovation full of constant trickery to try and try and meet the needs of the gamer who has insatiable demands so the most powerful graphics cards you could imagine the most powerful processors the most water cooled cases uh, a bios uh, that will allow you to overclock the, the motherboards to some insane degree. You know, PC's always been about that. And what happens is, in today's world, these niches, these previous niches, didn't used to cross over very much. You know, they you bought your PC magazines or you bought your uh, PlayStation magazines and that was your world. But now, in today's world, these worlds are crossing over all the time. So if you look at something online... Let's say you're watching a 4K stream or something and you're looking at a PlayStation 4 image versus, say, uh, a PC image at 4K. You're going, man, that looks really good. Why can't I have that on my PlayStation? See, people Mm. don't want that. People want comparable visual quality. It doesn't have to be equal. It just has to be comparable. And here's the thing. When you get used to – I remember when I started getting used to watching uh, high-def videos on YouTube, I just couldn't be – I couldn't bring myself to watch – standard do you remember 240p video oh my god
0: <laughs> <laughs> just right? terrible
1: you can't do that to your eyes man you just can't yeah. so so that's the other thing in today's world you are looking at streams a lot and you want to see really good quality on those streams and if the stuff that's coming from console doesn't look as good as pc well what's that going to tell the the discerning game player the one who's prepared to shell out thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on their rig, uh, and the same again on video games every year. It's going to tell them the place you need to be is PC. And, of course, the console manufacturers can't uh, allow that to happen, so they had to take steps, they had to take measures. And, as I say, because architecturally both uh, Microsoft and Sony are so aligned, it meant that they were bound to hit the performance limit through... Software innovation much sooner than in previous cycles. And of course, the internet just makes these things quicker anyway. You know, cycles were going to get quicker anyway, but having reasonably easy to understand uh, hardware that had its basis in PC in the past was also going to make that uh, happen a lot earlier than it perhaps otherwise would. So, that and the internet. So, you know, we're what, three, three and a half, four years in and we're already mid cycle. What does that mean to consoles? Well, if this works, For PlayStation, if PS4 Mm. Pro works, because we're about to go into holiday season, right? If it works for them, and if Scorpio works for Microsoft, then this will become the norm. It will become the norm for them. What will happen is that they will develop techniques to be able to iterate on a basic box design, a basic architecture, without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. Because if you look at the difference between uh, PS2 and PS3, they were both pigs to program i mean absolute <laughs> pigs but they were pigs in a completely different way so you know you move from one to the other and it was oh my god that was insane and this is insane uh, oh well at least i've got a seven eight year career ahead of me on which i can you know build a, a stable of releases based on the knowledge i'm going to build in this architecture no today's world has got to be a, a lot lot quicker so your architecture has to be more readily understandable your tools have to be of much higher quality look at Apple Apple's tools, man. I mean they they're getting so good. Uh, you know, mm. Being able to um, run Swift playgrounds on the iPad is a, f- a fabulous example of that. The the ease of accessibility of programming to just about everyone. Is you can see that is happening everywhere. So kids are going to be doing this, there'll be a lot more programmers around. So all of this stuff is going to be easier to access. Otherwise, you know, what will happen? People have choice. They'll go elsewhere. They'll they'll program their uh, their tablets, their their smartphones, their PCs, their Macs, whatever. Um, so. This is the thing with modern consoles. They've got to be able to meet that demand from programmers and they've got to be able to meet the demand from the market where people expect the best quality all the time. I and mean, you and I talked about this a while ago, that you know, we really we don't have an awful lot of, of um what they call leisure time. I don't know what happened to leisure time. I heard about it in the nineteen seventies, but um <laughs> I know there's that thing you supposed to have at the end of a day, right? <laughs> I don't know where that's gone. Um so We value that time very highly and we want the best for that time. So I don't think market is going to be uh, as much of a problem as making sure that they keep on board the developers, because every time there's a new cycle, you're just creating a bit more fragmentation. Whether they like it or not, there are still going to be split code bases. You know, your code base is going to have one path for running at 30 frames, another path for running at 60 frames, one path for 4K, one, one path for HD... You know, one path for higher uh, resolution textures and so on. It's, it's just going to get more and more complex. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw uh, at some point, you know, two or three iterations on a basic design, because it just mm. means you get to retain some of that programming knowledge. The tricks that you learned on generation one will still be applicable on generation three.
0: So it's kind of becoming like the iPhone. There's the iPhone, the iPhone S cycle, and even with the iPhone Seven, it's basically the same design but with much better performance. I think that there's a funny comparison here to be made about you know the, using the same the, the same design or if you will the same console the same generation but iterating over uh, you know the processor and the graphics and the you know the speed and the battery life just because. These components are getting so much you know, easier to, pre- you know, they're getting so much faster at such a quick pace. And, you know, I can see why from a console manufacturer point of view, uh, it's important, especially in the age of live streaming and YouTube videos. I mean, there's 4K, 4K on YouTube uh, and I can understand why it's important to, to have that kind of product. But let me ask you this. So I'm an original PS4 owner. I still got my trusted 1080p television. Do I need a PlayStation 4 Pro in my life?
1: If you want to run AAA games at 60 frames per second that previously ran at 30 frames per second, and if you know they're going to be updated, and if you know that when they come out... So let's just ignore the ones that have come out so far. If you know that when games come out that they're going to be 30 frames per second on PS4, and they're going to be 60 frames per second on the ps4 pro i think you're going to want a ps4 pro for that but it might not be enough to push you over because if there are sufficient games running at 60 frames on the standard ps4 you might not be bothered if you're much more interested in indie games for example then it might not be so much of an issue because um because they are generally uh to the best of my knowledge even now still running at 60 frames many of them um, the other thing you might want to think about is if you're into PSVR at all, PS4 Pro is likely to make VR mm. much more immersive. That right. that for that, that for me is the interesting point.
0: That's a really important argument because um, I mean, for VR, the PlayStation 4 Pro is gonna you know have the performance to drive that kind of experience, and of course, it's gonna struggle maybe a bit on the normal PlayStation 4, but it's just gonna be better uh on the on the pro yeah i gotta think about that because i'm getting a uh a playstation vr uh mike is getting one too i assume you're getting one also i've got one oh
1: yeah yeah i've got already one. Yeah. i
0: mean of course
1: <laughs> the the developer one
0: oh that fancy nice uh so i mean yeah it's it's something i'm,
1: I'm wearing it right now actually
0: you're, you're talking to me in vr
1: yes i am uh, t- I'm right behind you (laughs) (laughs) no no I'm not (laughs) but who knows Who knows? for some reason I I looked over my shoulder for some reason
0: (laughs) hey man what are you doing here
1: (laughs) I'm sorry that was a bit creepy
0: (laughs) (laughs) something that I need to consider Uh, actually it's I guess it's part of a bigger discussion maybe it's time for me to upgrade to 4k you know maybe you know when we bought this TV for this news for this new place uh, 2 years ago 4K was still a novelty but now it's basically the norm uh i mean even when we even at max stories when we produced the video uh, early this year for uh, the iOS 10 concept with was our priority to make it 4K it's just normal at this point to have 4K assets everywhere and you know 4K is the new 1080p basically uh so maybe it's time for me to go all in and basically redo my entire set up you know 4K TV PlayStation 4 Pro VR and go all in i don't know it's something that I, it's it's a big expense so maybe for christmas but yeah
1: well if you're going to if you're going to get a 4K TV um make sure it's got HDR support
0: oh because that's like a like a specific feature of
1: yeah i i was reading about this recently and it seems like it's pretty important i think i think a lot of the best ones will have it so uh so nothing to worry about, but I think it will just make things make things pop a lot more. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I haven't got a four K telly. We've got a fifty five inch uh, HD telly, and it's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that you know that nowadays so many people use Retina class displays, either on their iPad or on their Macs, and even on their iPhones. You know, and even. All all of the people using Android devices nowadays are top flight Android devices have extremely high density displays. And here's the thing about HD. You can see the pixels. And if you can't see the pixels, in other words, if you're looking at a telly, it's because they're really blurred. And that means the picture doesn't look sharp. And you do start to notice. And here's the thing about retina, you know. um, So we're not talking about 4K. But for me, what happened was once I saw a retina display, I could never go back. It was impossible for me to go back. And it'll be the same with 4K, you'll get a 4K telly and you'll be you'll be kind of, you know, umming and eyeing about it, and then you'll watch your first 4K program and you'll be saying to yourself, Why was I even debating this?